Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Once you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. And we are in our fourth, well, our fourth week as a congregation going through the book of Philippians. But we had a couple people come in between us. So, uh, but, but we're in Philippians 2 this morning. And uh, the, the sermon series is entitled The Joyful Life. And there's a reason for that. Because the Apostle Paul is in some serious circumstances. He's in prison. And yet he is displaying all kinds of joy as he writes to this church in Philippi. And what he's encouraging them to do is be joyful. That, you know, hey, you can be joyful in all your circumstances. Not only is he saying that, it's not just good theology, but he is living it out in his life. And if he can do it, how come you can't do it? You can do it as well because we all have the same spirit. And so he's encouraging this church as well as you and I that we ought to be joyful no matter what we're going through. Again, the definition of joy is gladness regardless of circumstance. Gladness of regardless of circumstance. So you can be joyful no matter what you're going through. It does not mean that you will be happy. That is totally different. Happiness is circumstantial. It's based on the old English word happenstance. It's by chance. So in other words, when my circumstances are going great, I'm happy. When they are not, I'm not happy. Biblical joy is constant. And it is always there. And you choose, to we- you choose whether or not you will live in it or you will not. It's a choice. The Holy Spirit wants to give you joy in all circumstances. And all we have to do is unveil our hearts to Him. And He will enable us to be able to do that. It's been a great reminder here are these last three sermons in Philippians, and I am really, really encouraged by Philippians chapter 2. I hope you will be as well. So stand with me real quick, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 2. We're going to beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11 because that really is contextual, but we will only look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any, af- any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You can understand why we're going to be in four verses this morning. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which, was, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equal, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. 
And what an incredible passage we have this morning. A set of passages, these verses, are so deep and rich with practical theology. And we even have the example of our Lord Jesus who did exactly what we are instructed to do in verses 1 through 4. He is our illustration. He is the perfect manifestation of verses 1 through 4. So we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would help us to glean the nuggets from verses 1 through 4, not only know them, but we would apply them to our lives this morning. Would you speak into our lives, Lord? Would you come and you, would you help us to understand your word this morning? By the power of your spirit, would you speak? And would you, would you change us? That's our prayer. We thank you, Lord. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you guys are Charles Schultz fans? Anybody Charles Schultz fans? Some of you kids are going, who's Charles Schultz? I don't know who that is, but he, he wrote the comic strip Peanuts. Now, there's one particular uh, strip that I think is really applicable to what we're talking about this morning, and Linus here, we'll see, Linus is saying something that we probably all understand. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand, right? Anybody with, with Linus on this? This comes from the actual clip where Linus and his sister Lucy are going through some, uh, some things, and she says, yeah, you a doctor? Ha! That's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. And Linus replies, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right? We understand. The reason why, by the way, Charles Schultz was so uh, good at writing these kind of comic strips is because they were so truthful. Like, we think this stuff. Like, he put real life in a comp comical way so we could relate. Oh, yeah, I'm like that. I, I feel that way. You, you wouldn't say that, but, but that is true. That's how you think. He tapped into the premise of humanity. He had an understanding of being able to bring out these, and there's lots of people like that, but he had an ability to bring out these, these truthful statements in a, in a funny way, but... but could, we could relate to and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with Linus. It's, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. People are always a problem. You know that? People are, are your problem. Now, it just depends on if you understand who that person is. My guess is, I, I want you guys to think about somebody in your life right now that causes you pain. I mean, I, I don't mean a family member that you, you have to bear with. I'm talking about somebody that you don't like. Like, I want you to think of somebody that is your problem person. Like, if you could, and I'm not saying remove them from the earth. I'm just saying, like, remove them from your life. You would totally just be like, snip, get these people out of my life because they cause me problems. People cause problems. Think of somebody in your life who has created the most problems for you. Do you have that person in your mind? I bet you don't have the right person. I want to ask the question again. Think of the person who creates the most problems in your life. Don't say their name. Who is it? It's you. It is you. You're, you're your problem. And in fact, did you know that science has caught up with the Bible? Actually, there was a guy named Mark Leary, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Duke University. He said most problems are people problems. And the people who cause our problems are quite often us. 
how profound, how true. He goes on to say, the core of many of these problems is the pervasive human tendency to be excessively self-focused. Naturally, we all focus mostly on ourselves and our lives. We view the world mostly from our perspective. But people are generally more preoccupied with themselves than they need to be. Thank you for that. Their excessive self-centeredness, egocentrism, and selfishness underlie many, perhaps most, of our problems. Uh, the reason we can't stand people is because people get in the way of our selfish ambitions. That's why we can't stand people. If I could just get these people or those people or that person out of my life, then I would be fine. No, you're the problem. You're the problem. And in fact, what we're going to see here is that if we live as if we are the problem and, and we, we humble ourselves and we look at our own selves first before we look at anybody else, it will change your relationships with everybody. It will change your marriage. It will change your relationship with your kids. It will change your relationship with your friends. It will change your relationship with your church family. It will change every relationship if you start to focus on the right person. And the right person in the midst of your life is you. It starts with you. Jesus said, you know, hey, listen, if you have a problem with somebody, get the log out of your own eye first, and then go take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Listen, when we look at, when we, when we deal with people, the first person we should deal with it is ourselves. Do this for me. Take this thing right here. It's called your finger. Point it at yourself and say, you're the problem. You're the problem. Some of you don't believe that this morning. Let's do this. Point it to your neighbor and say, you're the problem. That's much easier. You're the problem, right? I mean, that's way easier. It starts right here, folks. It starts with you. So oftentimes, we, we want to see change and we complain and we want to see all the, uh, if we would just do it this way or do it that way. Listen, start with you. You be the change. You start with yourself. Well, if they were just more kind, why don't you be more kind? Why don't you actually do unto others as you would have done unto yourself? You know what stops you? It's that nasty five-letter word that starts with a P, pride. Pride will stop you dead in your tracks and having good relationships with people because you will elevate yourself above other people and you will want them to serve you in some way. And contrary to popular belief, that's not the way the world works. You know, actually, that's certainly not the way Christianity works, and it's not supposed to work that way. If we look at Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, and, and the fact that I wanted to read all the way through verse 11 this morning because that is the illustration of what Paul is talking about in verses 1 through 4. He says, listen, uh, well, let me just explain it like this. Just be like Jesus. Here's what he did. He came from heaven to earth, and he humbled himself, and he clothed himself in your likeness. Not only that, that wasn't humbling enough. Then Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross, and he gave himself up for you freely. And then he rose again. For who? For you or for him? For you. So that you could be reconciled to God. He did it all for you. And he didn't have to. But he did. And he says, that's the way that I want my followers to live like that. And Paul says to this church in Philippi, listen, we have some problems. It's called pride. 
We have some pride problems in this church. They were a good church. They were a loving church. They were a growing church. They were a maturing church. And yet, they were a church that had some problems, like every church you know. If you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Ha, you've heard that joke before. <laughs> because we're not perfect people. All of us are in progress, right? Pride is the problem, folks. Pride is, is the thing that will stop us from, from really loving people the way that we are called to. The Bible says a lot about pride. First and foremost, the number one thing you need to know about pride is God hates it. God hates it, Proverbs 16, 5. You can write that down and look it up later. It is present before your downfall, Proverbs 16, 8. It causes division and separation, Proverbs 13, 10. Listen, you can ask Satan, you can ask Adam, you can ask Eve, you can ask Nebuchadnezzar, you can ask David, you can ask Solomon, you can ask Hezekiah, you can ask Peter, you can ask Judas, to name a few. Pride will ruin your life, and it will kill your joy. Because when you are focused on yourself, you care nothing for anyone else, and there is no joy in that. In fact, again, so thankful that science is caught up with the Bible, but there was a study done uh, in the 80s by a guy named uh, Bernard Rimland. And he, he conducted this study, and he asked the people involved in this study to list 10 people that they knew best, and to list them as happy or unhappy. Once they got their list of people as happy and unhappy, then he wanted them to go next to their name now and list whether they were selfish or unselfish. And what he found in conclusion to that study is the happiest people are the most unselfish people. You see, pride does not make you happy. Pride makes you miserable because you will never attain that whatever it is in your life that you're striving for or that expectation of what, how you want people to treat you because, again, the world doesn't revolve around you. So you'll never ever, you'll never ever be create a world in your image. You're not a creator. You're a creation. And you need to succumb to that. And so the, uh, Bernard Rimland said, listen, he said, uh, those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. You want to be happy? Here's what you need to do. Focus on other people. Serve other people. That will bring happiness in your life. That will bring joy. That's what joyful people do. They focus on other people no matter what is going on in their life. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. When you're weeping, I'm weeping. Why? Because I'm focused on you. I'm focused on what's going on in your life, not in my life. And we'll get into this in a second. That doesn't mean we abandon you know, our responsibilities. That's not what, what, what Paul is talking about in verses 1 through 4. What he is talking about is, is a method of life, a, a lifestyle of living humbly and, and what that will produce in your life. It will produce unity in every relationship you have. If you're not having unity in your marriage today or if you're not having unity in your, with your children or you're not having unity in that, listen, 50% of the relationship starts with you. So you want a 50% better marriage? Then you start with yourself. You want a 50% better relationship with your kid? Then you start with yourself. You want a 50% better relationship with whoever it is in your life? You start with you. 
When you start with you and you start to look at yourself and you start to respond by the grace of God, which you're living by, it, it, it'll change and transform these relationships, okay? Paul is saying to this church in Philippi, you have a pride problem. And there, there's, um, there, there's some serious issues here, and we need to get to the bottom of it. But the only way that we can get to the bottom of it is if you will humble yourself. The title of my message this morning is, Can't We All Just Get Along? Can't we all just get along? And I don't mean that in the sense of compromising. I mean that in the sense of being biblical. Can't we all just get along? It's difficult to get along with people. But if you will humble yourself, it will be less difficult. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, do all that you can to live at peace with all men. It's, it, you know, you're 50% of the situation. You can change the dynamics of the situation just by the way that you respond. Can't we all just get along? I'm going to let you in on a secret. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Will we all be best friends? No. We don't have to be. But can't we all just get along? Yes, we can because the commonality that we have is way bigger than any of us, right? The commonality that we have is Christ. He is the foundation of our unity. And when we focus on that and not ourselves, and we focus on, you know, our, our, not ourselves in terms of getting what we want, but we submit ourselves to him in humility, and we try and live what the Bible says we're called to live, you will see an incredible unity in your life. Paul, Paul here, really in verses 1 through 4, kind of gives us a formula, if you will, for joy. And, and, and it's just real simple. Be humble. That's all it is. Just be humble. And I've broken it down into two sections here, um, and, and really verses 1 through 2 declare to us where unity comes from, and verses 3 through 4 tell us how to obtain it and maintain it. So the first two verses we're going to look at tell us where unity comes from, where this ability to get along with people comes from, and then verses 3 through 4 tells us how to, how to obtain it and maintain it, right? Uh, we under, have to understand the source, and then we have to take that into our own lives and apply it into our own lives and live it that way, not just now, but forever. It's something that we have to continually do. It, it's never going to come natural to you to die to yourself. Anybody got that down yet? <laughs> I don't think you do. If you, did, if you raise your hand, you don't got it down. But um, you're never going to get to the point where you're like, yeah, I got that down, man. I mean, live, live for others. Oh, yeah, I got, you're going to constantly, it's going to be a struggle in your life. And when you start to see relationships go awry, man, you can start to square one, you. Look at yourself. But he wants to tell us that humility produces unity, and then he's going to show us how to obtain it and maintain it. Then he's going to help us to, um, he illustrates it through the life of Jesus in verses 5 through 11, which we'll get to next time. But verses 1 through 2, we find where unity comes from. Look at verse 1. So, there's any... Encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The word so there, the word so could be translated as therefore. Maybe your translation says that, therefore. Now, because we're good Bible students and we, 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 and we encounter therefore in the Bible, we have to ask ourselves what? What it's therefore. Okay, let's do that all together. What do we ask ourselves when we come to a therefore? What it's there for. The point of it is this. You don't wake up in the morning and say, 
honey, therefore. No, you're not. It's a continuation of a conversation. It's not the start of something new. You have to understand that the chapters and verses were not, Paul wasn't writing chapter two. You know, he didn't do that. We did that. Man inserted these as a, as a means of being able to memorize these scriptures. You know, that's why when Paul writes, uh, you know, the, the scripture says, he doesn't tag a specific verse in a specific, you know, place because they didn't have those. These were letters that were written to people and to churches and things. And so um, he, he wasn't, he's saying, therefore, he's continuing on with what he just said. So draw your attention to verse 23 through 30, or 27 through 30 in, verse, in chapter 1. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Notice the context. Paul is exhorting this church here, these believers, to live a life worthy of the gospel. He's speaking externally. He's saying, listen, I know that you're experiencing all kinds of hardship in, in the world. People are, are coming after you. They're, they're, they're persecuting you and all of this stuff, but that does not give you an out to not live worthy of the gospel. In other words, you continue on, you press on, and you stand firm, you unite as a body, and you move the gospel forward no matter what's happening. And in fact, we know that the early church did that because every time the church was heavily persecuted, the church grew. It grew. Persecution is the enemy trying to snuff out the gospel, but it's the the seed that God uses to grow the church. Because who in the world would die for something that's not true? Who would, who would stand firm? And these are guys that, were, that walked with Jesus, that saw what happened, that were right there. Who in the world would die for something that wasn't true? <laughs> there probably is somebody out there, but I'm just saying, not in this context. Listen, these guys understood. They understood. And, they, they, and, and Paul is saying to, to these sort of next generation people that are sort of one generation removed from Jesus. Jesus is gone the gospel's going forward. It's whatever, 40, 60 years. And he's saying, continue to move forward. When, the, when persecution comes, you know, when the external pressure comes, you push forward, you unite, and you don't be afraid. That's what he's telling them, right? But check this out. He moves into uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, so, so what? Now that you're unified and moving in one direction with the gospel going forward with external pressure, Unify when there's internal pressure. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's a problem in this church. There is internal pressure going on. And rather than fragment and implode or, you know, just scatter, unite. Deal with the issue. What is the issue at hand? Well, he tells us actually in in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 that there's at least one problem in this church and it has to do with two women. I'm sorry, I didn't say it. It's in here. I I mean, it says, I entreat Euodia. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These two women 
in this church had a problem. I don't know what it was. But what we know, that it was so important that the Apostle Paul was writing about it. It was no small issue, is what I'm saying. Like the Apostle Paul was not just addressing a personal issue. This personal issue started to fragment the church. This started with these two ladies, and started, they were fractioned. They started to fracture, and now they're dividing, and they're getting into groups, just like Paul addressed the, the Corinthians. Remember, I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of this or that. Listen, we're not of any man. We're of Jesus Christ. And he said, when the pressure comes internally, we got to turn back vertically, and we got to get our eyes on the right person. We need to deal with the problem on the horizontal, but we always have to remember who we're living for. It's for Jesus. We're not picking sides in the church. And I don't care if that's internally in these four walls or any church that exists that speaks the true gospel. You know, I was having a dialogue with somebody on Facebook yesterday about women in ministry and, and things like that, and she has a different view of, of the scripture. So we're having this dialogue, and I'm saying, hey, man, it's okay. You don't have to see it the way I see it. I'm just telling you the way I see it. And this is the way the scriptures read. And, you know, she has these explanations and all that kind of stuff. We had a great conversation. And, you know, I said, hey, God bless you, man. Have a great day. And I'm glad that we can have this conversation. Did we come to the same conclusion? No, but we did not divide. And that's what's important when you have these conversations that are, you know, that have the potential to divide. The only thing we divide on is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is, th those are fighting words. This is where we go, hey, you know what? And I, 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 I refute that, I disagree with that because those things will keep people out of heaven. Like when you're talking about works versus, you know, grace and, and these kind of things and, and that, you know, salvation is solely based on the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, that I can't do anything to, to contribute to what he's done. All I can do is receive it. Like that, I'll fight over that all day long because that's a matter of, you know, that's a false gospel that's being spread that will keep somebody out of heaven. The other things, we will have the conversation. And if we don't see eye to eye, we will agree to disagree. We'll move on, brothers and sisters, and it's fine. And that's why there's different churches. And that's, that's okay. Listen, you know, <laughs> really in context of everything we're saying today, if we were humble, that's the way that we would handle it. But if we're prideful, we'll get offended. The people don't see it the way, how could you not see it that way? I am so smart. How could you? You're calling me stupid. You know, all of a sudden you're like, it's, it's about you. It's not about you. You see the scriptures. You stand for what you believe they, they say, but you don't divide if they're secondary issues, right? So Paul is saying there, there's some big issue going on in this church, and he's addressing it. He's saying, okay, here's the thing is you have pressure internally. Yeah, you, you've got some pressure. So, therefore... Even though you have this external pressure and you guys are knowing how to navigate through that, let me explain it to you how you deal with the internal stuff. He says, so if. That word right there is known as a conditional participle and it, is, it, it really could be translated since. Really, the idea is if this condition is true and it is, then. That's really what the if means. So it's a lot of words that are really trying to say since and what is it, what is it telling us? Since you have these four specific things that he lists here in Christ, you need to apply them to your life. This is what he's saying. You have everything that you need for life and godliness right here because Jesus gave it to you. Look at this. He says, since or if there is any encouragement in Christ, since there is encouragement in Christ, right? Um, he, he, since, there, 
since there is comfort in his love, since, there, since we do have his spirit, since we have obtained his affection and his sympathy, since we have these things, we don't have to get them, we have them, since we have these things, now apply them. Be unified. Be of the same mind. Be of the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. What is the unifier? Unifier. What is the unifier of verses 1 and 2? What's the unifier? Is it you? Are you the unifier? No. Who's the unifier? Jesus. Everything is surrounded around Christ. Can you be unified in a body, although you're all different and you all think different? Yes. Why? Because it's not based on you. It's based on him. You have what you need. He's given you his his encouragement, his love, his comfort. He's giving you all these things so that you can apply it to your life, so that you can be of the same, you know, this, that, and whatever. There's four things that he, that he mentions here. Four different uh, things that he wants us to understand. He wants us to know that our unifier is Christ. It doesn't come from people, programs, or principles. If, we, if we're looking for it in that, we'll miss it. But that it comes through Christ, and through Christ we have these four specific things. He says, if you will apply these four things, you will complete my joy. Now, any parent that has multiple children understands what he's saying. You have joy in your house all the time, right? I mean, you just have joy because you're, you're joyful and, and because you, you're in Christ, right? And so you have joy in your house. But your joy is complete when there is peace with the troops. You know what I'm saying? Like when the kids are all unified and they're, they're, they're doing well, you're like, Oh, my joy is complete. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What Paul is saying is my joy, you know, what he's saying is I have joy already. But I, I would have all the more joy if you guys would deal with this situation, unify yourselves, and you would, you know, be Christ to one another. That would complete my joy. I would be so joyful. That would be like the, the, the ice cream on the pie. That would be the whipped cream on, the, on whatever it is that you drink. That would be the cherry in the Coke, whatever it is. That would complete my joy. And there is something there that is incredible. When, when people unify, there is, a, there is a joy. As a pastor, I look at that and I think, man, how incredible. That is the paradise that, that anybody in ministry looks for, unification in the body. Man, that is so awesome when the body is unified. There's nothing like that. There is nothing like that in all the world. Paul's like, man, I, I, I'm already joyful, but this would set me over the top, man, if you guys would just unify. And I feel him. I feel him on that because it, it grieves people's hearts, not just my heart as a pastor, but it should grieve any person's heart in the body of Christ when the body starts to fracture, when there starts, when there's quarreling going on, when there's fighting going on, when there, there are people that will not deal with their problems or, you know, rather than deal with their problems, they'll leave the church and go somewhere else because, you know, that's just easier to do. That's not biblical. What is biblical? To deal with the problem and to unify. See, what are people doing? They're focusing on on what's best for me in the moment. I don't care about God's word. I don't care about his will. You wouldn't say that, but that's what your actions are saying. I'll just go somewhere else because they're, they're there. They're the problem. Uh-uh. I'm the problem. I'm unwilling to do what the word of God says. I'm the problem. 
I have the issue. Who is your Lord? If you're obeying Scripture, Jesus is your Lord. It, it, it grieves me when I see an unwillingness to participate in the body because, listen, serving people is a blessing. It really is. Serving people, giving of yourself to serve other people is such a blessing. If you haven't tried it, I, I, I dare you to challenge me on this because it is an incredible thing to serve other people. And again, if you want to have joy in your life, and, and, and God created you to serve. He didn't create you to sit. He created you to serve. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He created you for that purpose. And when you do it, you are full of joy. When, when, when the body of Christ is unified and it's all going one direction, everybody is doing well. There is no other joy than that. It is incredible. We already have joy, and we don't let those things get in the way of us having joy. But that's the icing on the cake, man. It is a blessing. Paul says, man, if you, will just, if you will just be of the same mind, you will complete my joy. What does he mean? Man, if everybody would just think the way that I think, we would have no problems, right? It's not what he's saying. He's saying that if everybody would have the same attitude towards everything, the same mind, the same emotion, the same motion, the same the idea is that you are having the same attitude towards whatever it is that you're dealing with. You know what the attitude the church should have regardless of the situation? It's twofold. What does the Bible say and how do I apply it to my life? I don't care what the situation is. If you will take that attitude and I will take that attitude, what does the Bible say? And how do I apply it to my life? You will eliminate a lot of problems in your life because it starts with you. It starts with you applying God's word into your life. We have to be, if we're going to be of the same mind, listen, we have to use the same material. You can't use a different method of math than I'm using and we're going to get two different answers, right? We have to use the same material, and we also have to be committed to that material and saying, I believe what this says. I'm going to do what this says. That's what it means to be of the same mind. Paul said, man, if you'll stick with the material, if you'll stick with the scriptures, if you'll stick with the Bible, and then you're willing to apply it to your life, you won't do it perfectly. But if that is your attitude towards whatever it is that you're encountering in life, you'll be of the same mind. You'll have the same heart. The beat will be, Lord, what do you want next? Because it's about his will. It's about what he wants, not about what I want. And yet, many will say with the way that they live, I don't care what God thinks. I only care about what I want or what I like. And don't lie because you've done that and so have I. That's pride. Listen, it, it is the disregard for God's will. I don't care if God wants me unified. I don't want to deal with the problem because it's too hard, so I'm going to bail, Right? Listen, I've done it. I'm just telling you, that happens. But let us be people that are committed to the Scriptures and not only just reading them and knowing them, but living them out, right? Be of the same mind. That, that's one way you can, you can complete his joy. Secondly, he says, man, be of the same love. Be of the same love. It, it's to say that we, you know, what he's asking is saying love people equally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> love people equally. Whoa, that's hard. 
No, it isn't. Not if you're not focused on you. If you're still, if you're dead and the Spirit of God is living in you, then guess who he loves? Everybody. The Spirit of God, God so loved the world, and that is inside and outside the church. God so loved the world that he gave his son. How are we supposed to love people with the same kind of love Christ loved? Christ gave himself up for unbelievers, folks, not for believers. He gave himself up for unbelievers so that they could come be, become believers. Sometimes the only people we love are the people in our, in our body, and we're selective at that. We're sort of, you know, sh we, we shelter the love that Christ has given us and only distribute it to certain people. And, and Paul says, man, if you're going to be unified, you're going to have to love each other. And so I want you to write in your whatever you're taking notes on right now and say, this is the person Circle them and say, I need to start, you don't have to, but I mean, in your mind, you need to start thinking about who that person is that you have a problem with, that you aren't loving. You need to start asking God, give me that same love for that person. Give me a love that you have for that person, God. Help me to change, Lord. You're not going to necessarily be best friends with them, but you will display the love of Christ. Should we be able, um, you know, to be, should we be able to love our enemies? Yes, Jesus said we should. We should, even if they're enemies, even if they want nothing to do with you. You're responsible for how you act, not them, right? So, so Paul says, be of the same love. Be of the, 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 love people the same way that you were loved. Christ, man, he loved everybody, and he wants us to do the same. Thirdly, he says, we must be of full accord. Now, th this term is only used here in the, in the New Testament. It's the only time it's used and it literally means, listen to this, one-souled. I like that. To be one-souled or be of the same spirit. To be one-souled. What Paul's saying is that we ought to let the Holy Spirit bring us into unity. There is one spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. And if we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we will be in unity. Not only that, but we will always be in the will of God. Do you know that? If you're seeking the will of God in your life and you're, you're, you're wondering, man, how do I get God's will in my life? Surrender to the Spirit because he will lead you to the will of God. Remember when Jesus said, you know, it's to your benefit that I go away, that I send a helper so that he can help you? You know, at 1 John 2.27 says, he's your anointing, he is your teacher, he is your guide, he will direct and lead you and if we, are all, <laughs> if we are all birthed from that one spirit, how can we not be unified? It's when I step outside of the spirit that I step out of the unity that the Holy Spirit has created for us. Paul says, be of one spirit. Be of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be your leading guide, not you. Man, this has beat me up. You mean I got to keep dying to myself? Yep. You do. It's hard. I know, but it's possible. And this is what Paul is saying. Be of full accord. You guys need to be of the same spirit. Man, when, when people are of the same spirit, and by the way, this really is the, 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 way that we, the way that we love, the way we're supposed to love, the way that we have the right attitude. It's all through the Holy Spirit. Even going on, Paul says, you know, be of one mind. Literally, he's speaking about being of one purpose. Be of one purpose. How are we of one purpose? Where does the purpose come from? From the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose? Here is the purpose. 
This is why you exist. To glorify God and to know Christ and to make him known. That's why you exist. To bring glory to God while knowing Christ and making him known. That is why you exist. You don't exist to build a big business here in the world. You don't exist to, you know, fund a 401k. You don't exist to, those are things that you do and they're fine. But don't forget about why you exist. You can exist doing those things and fulfill your purpose while doing those things. But don't forget why you exist. Don't pursue the horizontal over your purpose. Your purpose is to bring glory to God, and you can do that in all kinds of different ways. Your purpose is to, to give your life over to knowing Christ and making him known in this world, and you can do that anywhere, and you should do that anywhere. In fact, he commissioned you, Jesus commissioned you to go do that, to make disciples of all nations, man. Just go into the world, whatever it is that you're doing. You'd be of one purpose. Amos 3.3 says this, I don't like the ESV, but I'll read it to you. Do you walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? I like the New King James Version. It says, do two walk together unless they're agreed? Can you walk side by side with somebody unless you determine in your mind to go the same direction? No, you cannot. You have to be of the same purpose. Where does unity start? It starts there. Where are we going? What is our purpose? Our purpose is to glorify God, to know Christ, and to make him known. Okay, now that we know that, what's the how? Then you start praying about, God, what's step one? What's step two? What's step three? But you know why you exist and what you're doing it for. You're doing it for the glory of God, to know Christ, and to make him known. These are the four things that Paul defines here that will not only complete his joy, but they will bring full unity in the body. He says, man, if you guys will commit yourselves to this. This is, again, internal pressure going on. If you'll just focus on doing these things, that internal pressure will go away and you will be unified. You're going to still have that external pressure, but you still stay unified and move the gospel forward. But internally, this is how you need to deal with this mess. You need to get your eyes back on Jesus. You need to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Remember why you exist Love the way that you are loved and have the same attitude towards one another. What does the Bible say and how do I apply it to my life? If you'll do that, man, <laughs> no problems. You will have no problems. That is, that is uh, the source of our unity. It is Christ and Christ alone. And then now we go into how unity is obtained and maintained. This is the how to the what. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There are five things that we must do in order to obtain and maintain unity in the body of Christ. First, he says, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Let me give you some synonyms for what it means to be selfish. Egotistical, self-seeking. Self-serving, self-absorbed, self-regard, self-interest, self-love. Paul is instructing this church to do nothing from selfish ambition. That is because this church was failing in this. There was selfish ambition. People were, were, were trying to elevate themselves. They were desiring to be recognized and distinguished amongst the body. They were saying, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm this and I'm that and, and I am uh, this title and that title. That's why I hate titles. But you listen, God gave titles. 
The problem is not the title, it's the attitude about the title. It's the way that people manage the title. It's the way people wear the title. Because God has a structure, and the structure is good. But listen, we have to, we have to surrender ourselves to the idea that it is not about us. This is, this is His structure. This is about Him. Paul is saying, man, there was selfishness. There's selfish ambition. People are ambitious to make a name for themselves rather than making a name for Christ. You know who you, you know what you do when you're, when you're selfishly ambitious in God's church? You know what you do? You rob God of his glory. How serious is that? That's real serious. God is serious about his glory. He shares his glory with no man. And when we are selfishly ambitious and we're trying to make a name for ourselves, we are trying to rob glory from God. Like, I don't care if anybody knows my name. The only name I want people to know is the name of Jesus because it's all about him. It's about his glory. Now, consequently, the Lord says, when you humble yourself, you will be exalted. And so there, there comes that awkwardness of going, uh, I don't want people to look at me. I want them to look at Jesus. And you just try and be a mirror as much as you possibly can. But listen, and, and that's awkward, I know, because I, I have a, a problem with that. I'm working through that. But, um, but the thing about it is it's not about us. We just have to remember that and constantly uh, allow ourselves to be mirrors for the Lord. But he said don't do anything with selfish ambition. The only ambition you should have is for Christ and Christ alone. Secondly, Paul mentions, again, a negative, do not. Uh, he says do nothing from conceit. I love that the, the, trans, the better translation of this actually is what it means, conceit, is empty glory, or maybe your King James Version or New King James uh, says vain glory. It's empty glory. It's doing something. It, it, the idea is puffing yourself up, exaggerating who you are, like the presentation of yourself. You ever seen a puffer fish? You know, you go into the ocean, you catch those things, and you bring them up, and as soon as they see you, they go, why do they blow up? That's their defense mechanism. They want you to think that you are, they, are, they are bigger and scarier than they really are. That's why they puff up. We do that. <laughs> Look at me. Seeing the gym around here? It's like, dude, <laughs> the only thing in between your lats is air. I don't, you don't have big lats. You shouldn't do that. But we, we puff ourselves up. Why? Pride. We puff ourselves up. It's pride. Selfish ambition seeks personal goals, while conceit seeks personal glory. Personal glory. Again, who's supposed to get the glory? The Lord is. Only Him. We love to hear, hear people talk about us, how great we are and all. But listen, beware of that. That is conceit, and the flesh loves it. The flesh consumes it and wants more and more of it. We have a culture that is very, very selfish, ambitious, and conceitful, man. We have this thing called the selfie, right? 24 billion selfies uploaded onto Google like a couple, as of a couple years ago. 24 billion, man. Here's me here. Here's me here. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with taking a picture of yourself with your family or whatever, but uh, it's the attitude in which why you're taking the picture, Right? Are you trying to puff yourself up to make yourself look like something you are not? And so we have these filters and we have all these different things to change the perspective so that what we look better. And again, Brian Thacker said this a while ago in one of his sermons, but he said, when you look at a picture, who's the first person you look at? Yourself. Well, if you're in the picture, you're like, well, how do I look? 
<laughs> you care. Don't say you don't care. You care. But, but here's the thing is we have the selfie. And we're trying to portray an image. Many, many people are trying to pre, pre, portray this image that they are not. Did you know that that will kill you? Literally? <laughs> Death by selfie is actually, you have a higher likelihood of dying while taking a selfie than getting in the ocean and dying of a shark attack. Did you know that? Be careful when you're snapping those things, man, because you could potentially die. Listen, the point is this. Don't puff yourself up. Don't be conceitful. Don't look at, you know, how can I elevate myself? Ask yourself, how can I elevate Christ? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but here's the third thing Paul says, be humble. Counting others more significant than yourself. Humility is not thinking, listen to this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking of yourself less in terms of, you know, like lowering who you are as a person. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just this person. I'm just unworthy. I'm, I'm, I'm this, that, or whatever. It's thinking of yourself less. Thoughts don't come in my mind about me. I really care about who I am. I, I care about making Christ known. I care about that. I, that's what humility is. That is what it means to be humble. Some people mean it, 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 it's thinking low of yourself. No, it's just not thinking of yourself at all. That's what humility is. When humility is present, we choose people over preference. When humility is present in your life, you will choose people over preference. Let me illustrate this. And uh, I, we were asked, and this is embarrassing, we were asked last week to go to lunch with somebody, right? And my wife's like, hey, you want to go to lunch with so-and-so? And uh, you, you know how that is when, it's, you know, where, where are they going? <laughs> where are they going? Because that's what I care about, me. I care about where I'm going. I care about what, how I just got done doing this or that. I want to feed my, my body, man. I want to have some, you know, where are they going? Oh, yeah, no, uh -uh. no, no, I don't want to go there. Why? Because I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought. You ever done that? You ever done that when somebody's just a simple thing? Hey, you want to go to lunch? Where are you going? McDonald's. Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to McDonald's. Sorry, I'm not going. Well, well, that's where we're going. You know, here's what happens when humility is present. When humility is present, you will choose people over preference. When pride is present, you will, will choose preference over people. Pure and simple. You want to know whether you're humble or where you're, whether you're proud? Just watch the decisions that you make. Are they driven by preference or are they driven by how to exalt people or how are some connection with people? Like, I don't care about that because I want to be with the people. Jesus said, I will empty myself of my glory because I want to be with people. But I don't want to go to lunch because it's not what I want for lunch. I don't want to be with people because I want something better for, come on, man. Convicted. You can shoot me later. But honestly, it's a, it's a really simple illustration. We do it all the time, guys. We choose ourselves over people all the time. And Christ wants us to choose people over ourselves. How do you do that? Again, dying to yourself. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for by the grace given to you, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we think more highly of ourselves, we automatically choose preference over people. And I'm thankful that Jesus didn't do that. And the Apostle Paul followed in his footsteps. You know, here's some things that Paul said about himself. He said, I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I'm the very least of all the saints, Ephesians 3, 8. And even foremost sinner, 1 Timothy 1, 15. Let me ask you a question. How can you think any differently about yourself? It's not about how great you are. It's about how great Christ is. And that's what Paul was saying, man. Be humble. Be humble. Don't think of yourself. Don't elevate yourself. We're all trophies of grace, folks. Every single one of us. Trophies of grace. And uh, we, are, we are only by the grace of God we are what we are. That's what Paul said. And that is so true. He, finally, fourthly, Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, that word, check this out, not only. Here's the misconception of the scripture. Don't look to your interests at all. That's not what that says. What that says is not only to your interests. Listen, if you don't take care of yourself, you cannot serve other people. If you don't take care of the simple things in your life, if you don't, you know, make enough money to... to feed your family and do those kinds of things, then you can't be a help to anybody else. He's not saying, don't consider your interest at all. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, don't, you know, consider other people's interests as much as you consider your own. Because we consider our interests pretty good, don't we? Wonder what we're going to do. You know, I need to do this and this and this to achieve that, that, and that. I, I, I'm making decisions based on all of that, right? Paul's saying, treat people like that. What is it? Do unto others as you would have done unto yourself, right? The, the golden rule. Basically saying, don't look to not only to your own interests, but also look to the interests of others. That is the final thing. He says, look to others' interests. Elevate others. It's real simple. It's real simple. The way that you want to obtain and maintain humility in your life is by dying to yourself and, and lifting up other people. It's that simple. And yet, it's really difficult to do in our lives. And so we would ask the Lord, you know, God, help me in this area to serve other people. Help me to die to myself and not consider my own preferences, right? Like, Holy Spirit, come and just make me like Jesus. Like, I would really love to just serve people, but the problem is that I am getting in the way. It's my preferences, Lord, Here's what I know, and I can tell you this from walking with the Lord for 20-some years, is that the closer I get to Jesus, the more I become like him. And the, the further away I get from Jesus, the less I become like him, right? If you want to do what Paul is saying, if you're sitting here saying this is impossible, I can't do this, you're not willing to get closer to Jesus. You're not willing to do that. I'm telling you it is possible because I've seen it in my own life over a period of time where I've, you know, I'm, I'm still selfish, but I'm growing, and so are you. And the closer you get to Christ, the more you will grow to be like Christ, right? So, so the exhortation to Paul is, is pretty simple. Get rid of pride and be humble people, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you just for... Revealing to us, Lord, um, our biggest problem is ourselves.
And uh, that, that is a hard pill to swallow, Lord, but we, we do swallow it this morning because we believe, Father, that you are bigger and that our, we want our lives to be surrendered to your will, and we know your will is to elevate Christ. And so here we are, Lord, with open arms, and we ask that you come right now by your Spirit and that you create, Lord, whatever is hindering us from being humble, whatever pride is in our hearts, Lord, we ask you right now to just, to just Lord, humble us. We don't want to be prideful people. We want to live for Christ. We want to elevate others, Lord. Lord, if we're, if we're, we pray that you would help us to move into a, a, a place of service, God, to you. That, that it wouldn't just be, it wouldn't be enough for us just to know you, but we would have to put these things into practice to really genuinely wash people's feet. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, to, to put some feet to our faith. And help us to just, just move mildly in your midst this, this morning that you would just draw us to yourself, God. And so we are just desperately seeking you, and we ask that you come by your spirit now and that you just give us that fruit, Lord, of the spirit, love, and through love that we can be humble people. And we thank you for this body, God. We thank you for each person here. And we ask that you would just move now in, in our midst. And, and I also just want to say, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not moved from unbeliever to believer, that isn't in right relationship with you, that is stuck in, their, uh, stuck in sin and wants to be released of that sin, that salvation is available, Lord. All we have to do is call upon your name. That's why you came. You humbled yourself so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And we ask you this morning that if there's anyone here that needs right relationship, maybe they're listening to the radio or wherever, Lord, this, a podcast later, that you help us to just bow our heart to you this morning and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. This is humility. I need you, Jesus. I'm turning away from my life. I'm turning to the life that you have for me. I surrender myself to you. Will you forgive me for my sin? Will you cleanse me this morning? You died for me. Your blood was shed for me. You rose again from the dead so that I could pray this prayer in faith. So I want to receive Jesus as my Savior this morning. And I want to be transformed and changed. Humble me, Lord. We thank you, God, that if people come in all sincerity of heart and pray a prayer like that, that, that you, uh, you will by no means cast them out. You will receive them in. So we thank you for that, Lord. For, the, for all the believers in this place, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Draw us to yourself as we close in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.